I don't know if you have ever watched uh, Home Improvement. Give me an amen if you have. If you have, I want to know who's in the room with me. All right, all right. Or been on a construction site of a house that is on schedule to receive a makeover. But usually there is <clears throat> this sort of, there's an assessment of the house to see if the house is actually repairable. And if it is repairable, there is usually a laundry list of things that need to be done. <coughs> you know, you're afraid to cough these days because, <laughs> you, know, you, 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 know, you, you know, people be like, huh? Hold on, you should you be out there preaching, brother? Because you're the only one talking in this room. You know, we don't know what you got, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know, you know, I, you, you know, you get concerned. You know, you know, it's hard out here. You know, you can't even cough. You, <clears throat> I tried to hold it in, y'all. <laughs> all right, all right, let's get back on the sermon. And if it is repairable, there's usually a laundry list of things that need to be done. I'm going to stay focused to me that I am. Uh, a laundry list of things to be done to make this house into a livable house. I'll never forget going into a house with a friend and noticing this long crack going down the wall and asking him, uh, what causes those, the, the, those kind of cracks within the wall? His reply was, oh, that is a sign of a foundation issue. And it is best we fix nothing until we fix the foundation. And y'all know me. I'm always looking for a sermon illustration. I really don't care. I just be looking for sermon illustrations. So I was like, why is that? He said, until you fix the foundation issue, the cracks will keep coming. So I scratched my head as I pondered what he said to me. And I said, you mean to tell me the problem is not rooted in what I can see, but in what I can't see? I just thought the wall was old. And he said, nope. No matter what we do to this house, if we don't fix the foundation, everything in it will continue to break again. And friends, I didn't come here to talk to you about home improvement. This is the issue with many of our families today. We see them falling apart. We see the cracks in the wall, the cracks in the home, the dysfunction in our families, the trauma and the disorganization in our households, but we sometimes are so fixed on keeping up with what folks can see that we forget to invest in what nobody sees behind closed doors. The reality is uh, we have foundation issues in many of our American families. Somebody's going to speak back to me this morning. Foundation issues on womanhood. Foundation issues on manhood. Foundation issues on marriage. Foundation issues on singleness. Foundation issues on parenting. Did I miss anybody? And what makes fixing the foundation issues in the church, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about church. What makes fixing the foundation issues in the church so hard is we think some of the things we built, womanhood, manhood, marriage, singleness, parenting on, is biblical when it's just cultural, worldly, oppressive, unjust, and sometimes just downright ungodly. Or, 
those of you who are extra spiritual. Sometimes we build it on what the preacher told us on TBN. I don't want to step on your favorite preacher. I don't want to step on any Joe Osteen toes this morning. I'm just going to keep going. We build our families on bad biblical interpretations. Well, we've, well, we've hastily hopped to a conclusion about a text without considering the genre of the book. Well, we've hastened to a conclusion of a text without understanding the context or the cultural background and, 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 and we build our family on these things. Let me give you one since y'all looking at me like that. Proverbs 31 woman. This has been the catalyst for keeping womanhood caged in a kitchen, drowned in mop buckets, and burned in an oven. Manhood has been compared to a brick. Strong and emotionless and isolated. Man, don't cry. I guess that doesn't make Jesus a man because he did cry. As Chris said last week, we must ask the question of who told us that? And until we deal with the foundation on which we have built our family identity on, we will keep fixing the walls only for the cracks to resurface every so often. Or we can do what they do in construction. And friends, this is difficult. This is hard. What, what we can do is, 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 is we can go in and we can paint the walls and do a cosmetic lift. Only for time to, 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 to destroy that. Or we can dig and bust up the foundation. Then lay it. Then seal it. Then start building again. Over these next several weeks, we're going to be doing some digging. We're going to be doing some busting. And it's going to be uncomfortable. But don't worry. We'll do some sealing to the family foundation. But you may be asking this question. Why start the month of January with stuff so difficult, Pastor? Talking about the family. Why not start with, this is your year or your season? Why not start there? Give the people what they want to hear, Pastor. Why start the new year this way? All that drama, Pastor. Because family is the bedrock to culture as God has intended it. Uh, uh, intended it. So goes the local family. So goes your block. So goes the community. So goes the local church. Y'all know y'all got some folks on your block that you ain't happy with. But just keep looking at me. When the family is strong, so is the block. So is the community. Your property value goes up. The most important thing about strong family is it means strong churches. And church is God's way of changing the world. We are going to assess the foundation of the family starting with marriage today. Amen, somebody. Marriage. 
Marriage in America has fallen on some hard times, y'all. Yes, it has. And has been on hard times for quite some time. I believe that Satan hates family. I need to slow down. I need you to feel that. I don't need you to just amen it. I need you to feel it and believe it. Satan hates family. Let me say it right here. Satan hates family. One more time. Satan hates family. You see, Satan rejoices when homes are ruined. He fights to make families feeble. The weaker the family, the stronger his rule, and the more his course advances. We see this during Jim Crow days after Reconstruction when white supremacy was dressed in law and its biggest attack was on the black family. Satan goes after the family institution because family matters, y'all. Did you know in 1957 that almost 60% of African-American adults were getting married and staying married. Bus boycott started in 1956 in Alabama. You fast forward to today, and less than 27% of African-American adults are getting married and staying married. (laughs) Marriage is unpopular today. By the way, struggling marriages are just not in the black community. It's in every ethnic group. But notice when evil is at its height, its attack is usually centered on the family. And even those who gave the unwedded a little hope are now dropping like flies. Consider Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre, Dr. Dre. I know N.W.A. Dr. Dre. Beats Dr. Dre, because y'all church folks, sometimes y'all know what I'm talking about. So I I need to make sure y'all know what Dr. Dre that I'm talking about. Dr. Dre is now divorcing his wife, Nicole Young, and had to pay her $100 after being married 26 years. Yeah, I ain't got $100 not at all. $100 maybe, $100 I won't go be his friend. No, I'm just playing. Uh, uh, think about Devon Franklin and Megan Good are getting a divorce after nine years, after writing books, after counseling folks, are now getting a divorce. Come on over here, Dale and Sonia Curry are also said to be getting the divorce after 33 years of marriage. Now, I'm not the type to assess people's issues from a distance because, you know, social media likes to do that. And they like to tell you why folks are getting a divorce and they don't even know why folks are getting a divorce. And I'm not about to be up here like I know all of the ins and outs of these relationships. I don't know why these couples are getting a divorce. I'm not here to judge them, nor am I saying just because people divorce, they are bad people. I know plenty of people who gave everything they could to keep and make their marriage work. But but there came a point where they where it was out of their control, and we have to be careful in the church of judging folks just because they've been divorced when you don't know their story. However, 
My hope is to give some practical advice to those of you who are married. Our goal here at Bethel is to have marriages that don't just stay together, but couples that thrive together. Let me put it plain. We don't want people living together, but they're not sleeping in the same room. That's kind of what I'm talking about. We want you to be more than roommates, but soulmates. And let me, let me pause right there because I know that word soulmate. Yeah, some of y'all like just trying to find that perfect match. And if you've been listening to me long enough, I don't believe in this automatic soulmate that you find. You got to work at a great marriage. You got to put some work in. <clears throat> it ain't automatic. No, it's not, it's not automatic. And don't let no married folks tell you that. The only people that's automatic for is crazy folks, all right? Just know that. You say, but what if I'm not married? Well, if you're planning to get married, this will be some help, helpful notes for you to take. And if you're not, this will help you better understand your neighbor and better love them. As well as there's some things that I'm going to say that's going to apply to both married folks and just being a human being. The biggest problem we are finding in marriage is that they are leaving, they are cleaving, but they are not weaving. I want to speak from those three points, leaving, uh, cleaving, and weaving. We are often instructed to leave and cleave, but no one really teaches us how to weave. This is the process, this weaving is the process, church, of becoming one. And I don't think the sermon will be sufficient to capture it all today, nor do I think my one singular male voice will do justice on how to weave. I would encourage you to, to, to stay afterwards for our Q&A, but to also seek out other couples and to seek out brothers and sisters and get their advice in the body. Be careful who you talk to, of course. But I'll try my best to give you some, some scripture mixed in with some lessons I've learned from walking with my wife in the Holy Spirit. And after that, I ask, um, after that we'll, we'll have some, some Q&A. But why are we doing this? Because when I was young, my mom used to say to me, when it was freezing outside, y'all, like it was the last couple days, I, I, I don't mind the snow. I hate when it gets negative. I'm just like, this can't be from God. This just can't be from God. When it was freezing outside, my mama used to tell me before I, go, before I went outside, she used to say, son, you better bundle up. And she used to say this word. Maybe y'all mama used to say it. She says, because the hawk is out there today. I don't know if your black mama... Maybe your white mama, I don't know. I know my black house. Oh, my mama used to say, bundle up, son, because the hawk is out there. And then if I didn't bundle up, she'll come over and she would layer me up with coats and scarves and long johns. Anybody remember those long johns, the white long johns? Why? Why did she do this? She did it that I might be ready for the hawk. And we live in a world that is cold towards marriage. And today we want to help you dress for the weather. And I'm here to tell you, don't bundle up in coats and scarves, but you better bundle up in mercy and grace. And you better have a scarf of wisdom. And you better bundle up in fellowship and put a head of knowledge on your head. Because when you decide to walk in holy matrimony in this world, the hulk is going to come against you. But if you got some mercy on you and you got some grace on you and you got some wisdom on you, the devil can come for you. But mercy will keep you. Oh, yes, you need it. How many of you may recall this verse in Genesis? Therefore, a man shall leave 
his father and his mother. That's what he said. A man shall leave his father and his mother. I thought the ladies would have said amen somewhere up in here. Mike, I thought they were somewhere, somewhere. And hold fast to his wife. And there it is. And they shall become one flesh, Chris. What in the world is Adam talking about? Sounds poetic and sounds romantic, but what is Adam talking about? Adam, in this verse, if you watch it closely, gives a three-step process that is the foundation to marriage. I want you to note that this three-step process comes after he is awakened from surgery and he sees his eyes, sees Eve. And the Bible says he called her woman. Okay, why? This is what he says. This at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now it's important that I note that the only woman that has ever come from a man is Eve. I just always want to be clear. I just want to be clear. Because y'all, you know, y'all be like, hey, hey, girl, now you know where you came from, right? Uh, my mama. Uh, <clears throat> everyone else came from a woman. Husbands, your wife didn't come from your rib. Here, Paul makes this argument here in 1 Corinthians just so that you guys know that I'm not making it up. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor man independent of woman. For a woman was made for, from, from man. So man is now born of woman, and all things are from God. You can see that God calls Eve to come from Adam, and then he calls the rest of humanity to come from woman so that man and women would not be independent of each other, but codependent of each other. And this is what we got to get in the church, that man and women, we need each other. And when we live and do life and treat each other in justice and love and with harmony, God does great things things in the church, but sometimes we created this chasm between man and women that is not godly and God is not pleased with it, but we've been laboring in Bethel Gary to bring man and women together because what we do not need is this war between genders, but instead God said there's neither male nor female or slave or free or barbarian, but we're all in Jesus. What a mighty word. God has done and it's easy to get this thing theologically but it's another thing to get this thing practically because you know when we start doing life together we start saying things like I can't believe that you think like that I can't believe that you'll say something like that you know the inside the inside thought ain't you so glad aren't you so glad that people don't know what goes on inside your head like I mean, if you, are, if you can't say amen about nothing else, I mean, just what you're thinking right now. You don't know that. No time to teach on that section, but, but men and women need each other. But back to my boy Adam, y'all. He wakes, 
And my man is like, oh, snap, bone of my bone. What does he mean? I think we heard things like, man, she fine. Eve was fine as frog here, all that good stuff. You know, whatever new school terms they're using now. He like, definitely going to be bae. Ain't no doubt about that. We definitely getting married. I'm definitely locking that down. I mean, God brought her. I ain't going to pass up my blessing, you know. All that happened. All that happened, you know. I mean, you know, I mean, God made her. But I think there was much more than physical going on in his head. Adam saw something deeper. Beyond the curves, he saw something deeper. And ain't nothing wrong with curves. Amen, somebody. Adam saw something deeper. He saw something deeper than just Eve's body. And I'm not discounting that. But marriage is built on more than physical attraction. Because if you live long enough, eventually gravity is going to win over. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> what Adam meant was that finally, I want you to hear, I want you to hear this. What Adam meant was finally, here was one that he just did not want to live without. Take away the lion, take away the serpent, take away the elephant, but this one right here. I cannot do life without. Adam meant, what Adam, what Adam meant was that here is one in which I can fellowship with. Here is one who was compatible with me. One with whom he could carry out the Lord's directives in Genesis 1.28. Here is one he could do life with. Here is one he can do life with. I'll say it again. Here is one that he could do life with. This is critical, church. It's important that you get that phrase right there. This is one that he could do life with. I need you to capture that and tuck that in the pocket of your heart. Because this is the one I can do life with. It is good for man to watch what Adam says after this. Because this is one in which he can do life with, it is good for man to leave. Watch how it's flowing out. Because this is one that I can do life with, it is now good for man to leave. What does that mean, leave? Does that mean leaving the house only? Of course. I mean, no. Adam meant so much more. To leave means to place every of the relationship at a lower priority than the marriage relationship. I need y'all to get this. Excluding, of course, one relationship with God. Your husband or your wife is to be more than, needs to be the most important relationship in your life. They are to literally be your best friend. They are to literally be your best friend. Now, I know some of y'all swallowed on that one. You don't, know, you, don't, you don't know her. You don't know him. You don't be saying that, Pastor. You know what I'm saying? Because I got to go home and deal with this. Hold on. I got you. I got you. I got you. I got you. 
Leave it means that every activity outside of the marriage relationship must take a back seat. This includes things like business, hobbies, friends, careers, sports. Ugh. Ugh, it's getting real uncomfortable. Even church work doesn't mean you stop doing those things or enjoying those things. Let me say that clearly. This does not mean that you stop enjoying those things. Doesn't mean that you don't that, that you stop engaging in those things. In fact, a healthy marriage encouraged their spouse to do so. One thing I know for sure is I can't be everything though for Paige. Let me say it again. Dexter Harris cannot be everything for Paige. I'm not God. When she married me, that doesn't mean she cuts her entire life off. You know, you got to be one arrogant person to think that when somebody marries you, they need nothing else. Like, who do you think you are? You ain't even enough for you. I'm like, I be, I be amen, you got friends. And go out with them and have a good time. And I ain't going to call you neither. I go, oh, do, you know, do your thing, you know, have fun, you know. I be missing you and all, but you know, I'll do your thing. She needs to do things that make her page and vice versa for the fellas as well. Outside of one relationship with God, there is no other relationship as important as the one you have with your spouse. See, most couples think leaving means getting our own house. And then they just stop right there. They like leaving, you know, we got to get our own crib or whatever. And this is the counsel most of my early thoughts about marriage was. As a man, I was afraid to get married. Ladies, sometimes we go through this. As a man, I was afraid to get married because I didn't know if I could be a great provider. I didn't know if I could hold down rent or mortgage. I remember the fear of that, and I was afraid to step into that because I didn't know. But as I've grown, what I've understand is that is a shared responsibility between a husband and a wife, and more importantly, it is God that provides. That doesn't mean you don't supposed to work hard. If my wife was up here, she would say, I thought leaving was about leaving all that, that made me me and forgetting who I was. No, that's not what leaving is about. It's not just about getting your own place. Yes, it is a part of it, but that's the easy part. What's not instilled is, are you ready to treat this relationship like it's the most important relationship outside of God? That's what leaving is about. Adam says, leave father and mother and cleave to your wife. What he's saying is that when you leave, you're saying that, that I'm detaching myself from everything that is above her and that I'm going to put this relationship first and vice versa. I'm going to put it before my hobbies. I'm going to put it before my job. I'm going to put it before everything. That is what leaving is about. Was I still ready to leave? When I look back, I was not. And if she doesn't like it, she better find someone else. I had those kind of thoughts in my head. 
See, for some of us, leaving our mom and dad is easy, but leaving hobbies and jobs are hard. Not abandoning those things as, as, as leaving, as, as never doing those things, but leaving in regards to it being the priority. But what, what, what Adam expects, what God expects, is all other relationships in comparison to my love for Paige should look like hatred. Leaving is about relationship more than location. And it is the second directive that, that, that shatters that leaving is just about a location. He doesn't just say leave. He then says cleave. Cleave means to adhere, to stick to, to be bound together by some strong bond. I need to slow down here because, because for those of you who are not wedded, you need to hear what they say. It says stick you need to be careful who you're going to stick to. Right. I'm telling you, man, like, like all that romantic stuff, feel all good and all that. But, but when you got to stick to this person, where they go, you go. What you go through, they go through. Like, I need to know if I want to stick with you. Because we've had ourselves some sticky situations, you know. I need to know. Cleaving isn't an instant thing. Rather, it is a lifelong pursuit. It begins at the marriage altar and continues to the deathbed. It speaks of total and absolute commitment. This is a word that is lacking in our modern society, especially when it comes to the arena of marriage. The modern mindset says, well, well, we'll try it for a while. And if it doesn't work, then I'll just find a new one. That is a far cry from what God intended in the beginning. You see, cleaving is not a passive endeavor. <clears throat> in other words, it doesn't, it doesn't just happen. It comes about as a result of effort. By the way, the New Testament word cleave means to, to stick like glue, to be welded together so that the two cannot be separated without serious damage to both. Picture an envelope in a sticky note. Marriage is more like a sealed envelope than a sticky note. You know, with a sticky note, you can peel that off and on with no problem. Sticky notes separate real easily. Boom, 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 done. Nobody hurt, nobody harmed, but not with an envelope. An envelope, in order to separate it, you got to devastate it. The Bible speaks of marriage not as a post-it note, but as an envelope that is sealed. And for me to get out of this marriage is to tear it up, to devastate the envelope. There is no one who has ever been divorced that has not been damaged. Divorce is hard. It hurts. It's difficult. God not playing. When he talked about marriage and making these two one, God did something divine and miraculous. And that's why so much of us are walking around with trauma and damage and all of this hurt and pain. Because these relations, especially the marriage relationship, is a serious thing. Be careful who you get stuck to. Now, 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 I know. You can do your best. And people change in marriages. They do. They do. There are exceptions. You see, Adam didn't see when he saw Eve someone he was going to be half-hearted, post-it noted to. Instead, he seen someone he was going to be a, 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 a enveloped to, if that's even a word. It's all right to make up words. You know what? I'm going to make up another word. No, I'm just fine. I feel like making up words. Burger flicker. No, I'm just playing. 
<laughs> Anyways, no, don't even mind that. Don't even mind. I seen it on a commercial. <laughs> and we know it's because of the last directive he gives that this is about sealing. This is not about posting notes. And where I'll spend the rest of my time now uh, is weaving. Now, if couples, we can manage to get the leaving and the cleaving down, which is hard all within itself to make your spouse a priority as you wrestle through letting go and, and, and loosening uh, uh, or your high commitment to these other things. It's very hard to, 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 to not only put hobbies and stuff aside when it comes to leaving, but if we can be honest, the biggest thing that you wrestle with is yourself. It, that's the hardest thing to, to, to kind of to loosen up and to put your spouse even before yourself. It is difficult, but, 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 but once you get past the leaving and the cleaving, it is the weaving that is the hardest part. What do I mean by weaving? Well, does anybody remember the famous Rocky Balboa? Yeah, 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 I remember Rocky. Y'all remember Rocky Adrian. Y'all remember him. Remember when his girlfriend's brother in the meat locker room asked him, why you like my sister, dog? And he said, well, you know, you know, you know, you know, in his Rocky voice, you know, she got gaps, I got gaps. But together, there are no gaps. That was Rocky's way of explaining weaving the best way that he can. But seriously, weaving is hard to explain. In some ways, I think impossible. But Jesus saw weaving in, in marriage from God. I think Jesus sums it up best in the gospel. Jesus is chilling, y'all, like, like always, you know, doing his thing. Jesus ain't bothering nobody. You don't bother Jesus. Jesus don't bother you. I mean, he's chilling. Jesus is approached by the Pharisees. They like, hey, yo, that's how I read my Bible. The religious, leader, uh, the religious leader of his day came up to him like, hey, yo. And he asked what appeared, and these religious leaders asked what appears to be a simple question, and that is, is it okay to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, what we need to understand this morning is that the Pharisees asked this question because they wanted to pull Jesus into a debate about marriage that was raging in their day between the respected Jewish schools of thought. The Shama position on divorce and remarriage was very narrow. They thought that there was only one reason to divorce, and that was for unfaithfulness, and specifically sexual unfaithfulness. Then you had the other school, the Hallel, on the other hand, had a lot more of a liberal view of what constituted a divorce. They said that a man can divorce his wife for any cause. Now, I need to slow down because I need you to catch the cultural background here. For an example, and I'm not making this up, if a man's wife burned his bread, he could divorce her. Like, you ain't get my toast right. Like, that ain't, that, you know, like, that ain't cool. Like, I said, I said, I said, wheat, not white. You know, we, we, you know, we done. You know what I'm saying? Like, that, that's messed up. <laughs> uh, if she talked disrespectfully to him or about his parents, he could divorce her. How many of y'all be divorced right now in this room if those rules still existed? <laughs> You'll be talking about my mama now. You know, you know how I go. You know how I go. Now, this one, this one really, really tripped. This one really tripped me out. If his neighbors in the house next door could hear her talking, he could divorce her. Now, of course, if she was on an Apple phone, you barely hear on those things. That, you know, that wouldn't have been the case. You know what I'm saying? Apple people would have been safe. Let me just keep moving. Let me keep moving. Let me keep moving. If his neighbors in the house next door heard her, he could divorce her. If she was seen out with her hair down or talking to another man, he could divorce her. 
These are ridiculous things. But what's most devastating of all, if the husband found another woman that he liked better, he was free to divorce his wife. Sadly, in Jesus' day, it was the school of the Hillel that, that was driving the culture, creating an environment where men were divorcing their wives for any and all reasons, and the results were devastating. See, when a woman was divorced, typically no man would marry her in Jesus' day. And now she has no financial security. Her only option of supporting herself was to become a prostitute. Divorce was devastating, but especially for women because they were oppressed. And I need you to understand that when there are oppressive systems in place, it affects people and it affects the decisions that they make. So that's why we just can't focus on individual sins, but we have to focus on systemic issues as well to make just systems where we all can flourish, where we all can thrive. As you can see, these guys were some jerks, and they totally missed the purpose of marriage that was in the head of the words of our forefather, Adam. Marriage is not about convenience. It's about a deep relationship, a relationship that goes both ways. But as you can see, these guys were not concerned about knowing their wives, but knowing if they did what they should. And you can't experience deep purpose of marriage unless you learn to relate to one another and enjoy getting to know each other. Let me say it again. You cannot experience deep purpose of marriage unless you learn to relate to one another and enjoy getting to know each other. And this is the art of weaving. In the dictionary, weaving means from, 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 uh, uh, form, from, form by interlacing long threads passing in one direction with another at right angle to them, make a complex story of patterns from a number of interconnected elements. Basically, it is the art of making two separate things one. And when it comes to a husband and a wife, there are so many ways for us to connect. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But when a husband and wife weave together, they create something unique between them that only those two can create. It's like making a baby. Kids, cover your ears. <laughs> Husband and wives make love, and sometimes out comes a baby. We'll just leave it at that. A baby that only those two people's DNA can make as they merge together. Weaving is the process of a husband and wife becoming what God has already declared them to be one flesh. And out of that working and weaving comes something beautiful when they do it the way that God intended it to be. I love how Brian LaRitz captures Jesus' picture and lesson to these folks, to these religious Pharisees who are trying to trip him up and trick him because they are jealous of him. But I love what Jesus teaches them. But if you don't pay close enough attention, attention, you'll miss it yourself. What's, what's Jesus' lesson here? This is what he says. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And y'all know, I already told y'all, they did their divorce in their wives because they're burning their toes or they're talking too loud. And this is what Jesus answered. Have you not read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and what? Hold fast to his wife and the two shall become what? Look at Jesus going back to Scripture, going back to the Old Testament. Let me educate y'all cats for a minute is what he's saying. Y'all think that y'all know something, but y'all just ran into the creator of the universe. And I'm going to take y'all back to what this thing meant to be because y'all humans sometimes get things screwed up and messed up because y'all get so selfish and so blind and all you do is think about yourself. So let me tell you what God intended this thing to be. And I love the way that Brian Lurich captures Jesus' thoughts. He says this, no Notice Jesus answers their question. Notice Jesus answers their question of whether it's okay to divorce one's wife for any cause. Notice he does not spend the bulk of his time giving well-reasoned arguments for what constitutes a divorce and what does not. Instead, watch it, church, watch this. Instead, he pulls them away from the law. And back to Genesis chapter 2 when God created marriage. Watch Jesus now. Oh, he's a bad boy. Yes, he is. Come here, Jesus. Preach to God's people. In other words, Jesus in his answer is saying to them, you guys are asking the wrong question. You ever asked the wrong question? God got a way of getting you straight. So he had to straighten. He said, you guys are asking the wrong question. You're asking what's what's allowable. You know how we are in church. I want to know how far I can go. You know, how much is too much? I'm going to get right, right on up to that line right there. Then get right there and be all right. Well, we ask what's permissible when instead you should focus on what's the ideal. And what is God's ideal for marriage? Look at verses 5 through 6. Here he states the ideal and repeats it. God's ideal for marriage is one flesh. That two shall now become one. But what is the notion of one flesh? What does this mean? The idea of one flesh is not just the idea of sharing bodies in the physical acts of sex. Oh, no. If that's all you get, you're missing the point. One flesh is not just the harmony of bodies, and it does include that. But it is an all-encompassing intimacy that is shared between two people in every dimension. It is an all-encompassing intimacy that is shared between two people in every dimension. One flesh is not just sharing of bills. That's that's Nipsco and uh, American water. And sometimes we water our relationship down in marriage to that. Did you do your part of the bills? It's not just the sharing of space. But it is the intertwining of lives to the point where two distinct people now become one. How do you do this practically? What are some practical ways to get here? I mean, shows like The Wheel of Time on Amazon tries to display this through this magical connection. Avatar tried to do it by binding the hair together. Lauren Hill, come here, Lauren Hill. Lauren Hill tried to capture it with the lyrics of strumming my pain with his finger, singing my life. With his song. Some of y'all going to act like y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Or that other song that says, I can love you like that, girl. I can make you my world. Move heaven and earth if you were my girl. All that stuff sounds good about weaving. But it's way harder than that. Weaving is messy. 
And weaving is never perfect because on this side of heaven, it is the weaving together of two imperfect people. And those who've been married long enough can say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, somebody. And I'm not here to sell anyone any dreams. There will be days when you say, if you say one more thing to me, you got one more time to talk to me like that. I'm in somebody's living room right now. <laughs> They're trying to keep quiet so that I don't know, Mike. Just get in the church door and act right when we get there. You know how you be looking straight talking to your spouse and you smiling at the same time? You better, you know. You know, hey, I praise the Lord. You better get it together. You, ever, you know you've been married a long time. You can talk two ways at the same time. You get them together and in, you smiling at the same time. You've been married some time now. <laughs> there are certain sins, too, that stop the weaving process because they are dangerous. But there are helpful ways to maintain and maintain this imperfect marriage. The goal of weaving in marriage is to honor God and to bring him glory. And I believe this is accomplished when your spouse becomes your best friend. Tim Keller in his book, The Meaning of Marriage, spends significant time talking about the issue of one flesh, which is God's purpose for marriage. And what Tim Keller says is in view by the term one flesh is that of friendship. Friendship, y'all. That my wife at the end of the day is not ultimately my business partner my maid, my nanny, or driver, but that she is my friend. And I want to give you a few pointers that can be helpful. Now, this is not a full counseling session. This is not an all-encompassing, nor do I do any of these things perfectly, but here's some things that I've learned. Weaving will require learning your neighbor, your spouse. One of the biggest issues in marriage is that men and women usually don't understand each other. And then society tells us what? Men and women can't understand one another. That is a lie. It is not because we can't. It's that we never really take time to do so. And it's imperative that you get to know your spouse if you want them to become your best friend. It will require you learning how they think, what they like, what they don't like, what brings them joy, what brings them sadness. And can I give you some advice here? Stop telling your spouse what makes them happy. Stop telling them what makes them sad. How about you shut up and actually ask questions? And each man and woman is different beyond the obvious physical differences. Spouses don't usually realize how different they are, amen, somebody, until they get through the romance stage. It's after you get past that romance stage. <laughs> and you move in. And all of a sudden, you see them. Like, I'm talking about, like, see them, see them. You know, you didn't really, you, I mean, you saw them, but you ain't, you know, when you see them, see them, you're like, oh, I ain't know, I ain't know you was like that. Before we were married, we had so much in common. And now that we're married, we have nothing in common. I think to say that there's nothing in common, that's a little extreme. You're just mad, you're angry, you're upset, you need to grab some water and come back to that. But most couples soon realize they have a lot less in common than they originally thought. In fact, it's almost humorous how God seems to put exact opposites together. <laughs> ain't, that, ain't that funny how God do that? You be like, 
we like on you want it hot up in here, I want it cold. Like, what's up? Like, God, you you know you're supposed to be the love doctor. You can't, you know, get this together. And this makes weaving difficult, but it also makes it beautiful at the same time. Because of the differences, you can make something new, something only you two can create. How do I learn, Paige? I ask a lot of questions. I try as best I can to pay attention to her day. Like I said, I wish that I'd do these things more often than I do. I listen to her complaints of me. I, I remember one time I was sitting on the floor. Y'all, I'm just going to be real. I'm going to be honest. Can I be honest? Can I be real, y'all? Can, can I be honest? Can I be real? I remember one time, y'all, we, me and Paige, we chilling, right? We having a good time. Y'all know how it is. When you marry, sometimes you having a good time, and some just mess the whole moment up. Like, Satan just come in like, rah. You know what I'm saying? You're like, where he come from? Dang, he just rolled up on us like that. What's good, cuz? Anyway, but I'm sitting on the floor. We having a conversation or whatever. And she say, uh, she say, uh, you selfish. <laughs> now, y'all, I'm pausing right here because I want y'all to catch that, that moment. Y'all know that moment? Y'all not going to be honest. Chris, they not going to be honest this morning. David, they not going to be honest this morning. Let me pause. It's right here. You, you're like this because you, you're thinking. It's real fast. It's, it's real fast because you think about what you're going to say. You know? And so she, she said that. The little lawyer came up in me. We all got the little lawyer inside of me. I'm like, hold on. She must don't know me, cuz. They ain't going to be calling me selfish. I'm thinking about all the stuff that I do, blah, blah, blah. And in that split moment, the Holy Spirit shows up. You know the Holy Spirit and Satan, they'll show up at the same time. What's up? <laughs> And so here it is. Here it is. Because Satan, like, come on, man. You ain't going to take this. You're a man. You're a man, Dex. And then the Holy Spirit, like, shut up. <laughs> y'all always want a word. Y'all don't want, y'all, y'all, y'all don't want the divine word, shut up. <laughs> That's a word. Sometimes shut up is a word from God. Y'all want this show season. No, it's shut up. <laughs> you shut it up. And in that moment, you know how it is. I shut it up. I said, okay. And he said, shut up. He said, you need to ask, you need to ask a question. And I said, why do you say that? And that allowed the conversation to continue. Now, just because I asked you a question and didn't give you a rebuttal doesn't mean that I agree. But it means that I'm seeking to see if there's evidence to this accusation that you're putting before me. Right? And part of the weaving process is both getting to know your spouse and getting to know yourself. You're not going to get very far in marriage if you don't know you. Right? Because at some point, somebody said this yesterday, you got to ask, is what they're saying true? And we like to ladder ourselves and say, no. But sometimes it is true. Listen to your spouse complains. I try to spend unter- unhurried time with her. This is time where it's not rushed. It's me and her. We ain't in a rush to get nowhere. We ain't talking about bills. We ain't talking about kids. We just talking about us. By the way, quality time is when you and your spouse is the main topic. If not, that's not quality time. Here's another thing that I want to give both to men and women. Um, for me personally, I read women by I read books by women. I listen to women speakers. I have women friends, and I submit to women's voices. And this has helped me to develop an ear on how to listen and understand my wife. 
We are always learning, but learning how to dwell with and enjoy this woman has become of increasing interest over the years to me. Whenever I go to a conference, and, 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 and I tell this often, whenever I go to a conference because I hear so many male voices in my life, if I go to a conference and there's workshops and women are running them, I go to every last one of them. Why? The Bible calls me to love my neighbor, which means that I don't just need things that makes me a better me. I need things that make me a better neighbor, especially to the woman that I live with. Weaving also will require communication. All right, grip your spouse, hold, hold their hand, just hold, just hold their hand. Just, just look at me. This communication thing is a, it's a monster, y'all. It is. It is. Communication is one of the biggest reasons people end up in my office in regards to friendship. Communication in a marriage in regards to weaving has to be the safest and honest place for you to communicate. When a husband and a wife cannot communicate, they're going to communicate somewhere. They're going to express how they feel somewhere. And that somewhere for me needs to be in my home between me and Paige, which means that we have to create an environment. And she just walked in the room, so y'all don't look at her. Just keep looking at me. Uh, uh, We need to create an environment where we can be honest and open. Ministry, I remember one time, here's another example. I'm just going to put my business out there. I'm just going to make me the bad guy, y'all. So when I first got into ministry, man, I used to, I mean, I was like pedal to the metal. I mean, all gas, no brakes going in. I mean, I love, love, love ministry. And Paige used to come to me and be like, but what about us? I'm like, what you mean? What about God? You know, that's how you know this. He get mad, right? Like, I'm like, what about, oh, what about God? I'm doing the Lord's work. And you need to be helping me. You need to be doing this. And you need to be doing that. And she would continue to say, but what about me? Right? And in that moment, I could not hear her until one day an older gentleman had a conversation with me. And he said, young man, I need you to understand something especially us who are in the church, because sometimes good things can become bad things. He says, young man, you don't want ministry to become like a second woman to your wife, where she feels like she's in competition with your ministry. This goes back to leaving, right? That she has to be the priority And until you get that and understand that, you're going to continue to have this wrestling match. And in that, what I understood was is that I needed to prioritize her over ministry. And and, and what I realized as well that in her complaining, in her argument with me, is, is that God was trying to tell me that you were making an idol out of ministry, young man. And sometimes in the nagging and sometimes in the arguing, there is truth for you in that. Weaving will require good communication. Weaving will also require redefining intimacy. If you see your wife and husband as a job description versus a human, you will never enjoy marriage. And neither will they. 
If you see your husband as a JD, he's a provider and a protector and not a human, you're going to have serious issues. See, JDs are to be done, but humans are to be known. And when we know each other, we get much more done. You see, intimacy done the way God intended it drives us past ourselves as we attempt to connect with and probe to understand our spouse. It's this love that we have for this person that drives us to be known and to know them. Know them physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. Intimacy is much more deeper than having sex. When husband and wife begin to weave together physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, sexually together, it creates a very strong divine bond that has great joy. And the reason why weaving brings joy is because essentially to be known and to know a person tells them that they matter. Not just with words, but more than that, they can feel it and carry it in in their hearts. I matter to them and they matter to me. When people matter to you, arguments are different. Separation can only be tolerated for a short period of time before you want your friend back. Because men and women are honored and esteemed equally by God. And this is to be mirrored in the covenant of marriage. That's when I talk about one flesh with with, with your spouse. It is far deeper than physical connection. But here's the last thing. I said all those little practical things, communication, you know, open door of communication, getting to know them, doing your homework, all those things are good. But I want to pound this last one home. Weaving will require the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is the idea of marriage, but no matter how well we try to weave, we will always have loose threads. We will always have gaps. Our threads will get worn. Weaving is hard work. And Satan loves to stop couples from weaving and turn them into bobbing and weaving. Y'all know what I'm talking about. We ain't weaving no more. We bobbing and weaving now. I tried to weave with you, but now you're getting these hands. I'm sorry. You need the Holy Spirit to win against him. Satan wants y'all separated. He doesn't want you all to weave together. Because if he can break the marriage, he can break the church. And he can break your children. When couples go through things, and we all do, and we might not even get along all the time, but we will go through things. And I'm going to tell you guys, when marriages go through things, we all go through things. What I mean by that is that When couples, particularly in the church, and I've experienced this, are not on the same page and Satan is in the middle of their marriage, the entire church is affected by it, whether it's directly or indirectly. Because when they break down, especially if you're at the core of things, right, that 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 children's ministry back there has is affected. Bible studies are affected. Things are affected, and you may not feel it directly, but it is happening indirectly. But more than Satan, and sometimes we focus on Satan and what he does, and we should, but the biggest enemy of your marriage is your own flesh. And the only way to overcome your flesh 
is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is why the Bible calls us to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. Your spouse can both bring out your flesh. They can. And they can point out things about your flesh. You see, sometimes we focus on Satan more than our flesh, but our flesh is what we need to get under control. Our flesh is the biggest enemy to weaving. Your flesh is the one that says, let's not do this anymore. Your flesh is the one that says that I'm not going to humble myself. Your flesh is the one. And friends, when we go through these things in our marriage with our flesh and with Satan, what we're going to need more than anything else is not just knowledge, it's not just counseling, and not just wisdom, but what we're going to need more than anything if we want striving marriages that last and marriages that are strong and marriages that will endure, what we need more than anything is the power and the working of the Holy Spirit in our household and in our hearts and in our lives because friends I came to tell you that your marriage is going to go through the fire yes it is your marriage will be tested by trials and by fire but when you got God with you it doesn't matter what fires you face it doesn't matter what trials you face if God is in the fire with you you'll make it through you'll make it through the other side I wish I had a church in here this morning Come here, Daniel. Y'all remember the three Hebrew boys, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. King Nebuchadnezzar threw them into the fiery furnace. And y'all, when he threw them in the fiery furnace, not a hair on their head was singed. Oh, y'all didn't shout. I thought y'all knew fire was hot. Somebody in this room has touched the stove one day and say, I bet not do that in again. Somebody has opened up an oven and heat has came out and you thought that it almost took your eyebrows away, your hair away, because fire is hot and it burns. But y'all, I said that King Nebuchadnezzar threw them in the fire and not a hair on their head with sins. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, he looks into the furnace. Y'all, that's what he does. He looks into the furnace and he realizes that there's, there's a fourth person in there. <clears throat> now, King Nebuchadnezzar scratches his head because he's been to Babylonian school, and he's just like, now when you put three in, there shall only be three. But he noticed that there was a, f- a fourth one in the fire. And he scratches his head. He said, hey, do y'all see this fourth one in there? And friends, because of the fourth individual in the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, uh, 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 the three Hebrew boys were not, they were not burned because, because of the fourth one in there. And what I'm saying is that I can give you all the practical knowledge that you, I can give you all the practical things up here. I can give you knowledge. I can give you wisdom. I can tell you to do this. Take your wife on a date. I can tell you to talk to each other and have good communication. But if you ain't got the fourth one, in the fire with you. The fire will consume you. But if you got the fourth one in the fire, no matter what you go through, that marriage is able to stand. I'm telling y'all, it ain't been me and Paige's knowledge. It ain't been our wisdom to be married at 19 and to be going on year 15 to God be the glory. It has been God in the fire with us that has brought us to the other side. 
Oh, you need a God that'll go in the fire with you, that'll hold you in the fire when those times when you don't like each other, those times when you don't want to be married anymore, those times when they get on your nerves, those times when communication is just not clicking, those times when that person at work is in your ear. You know what I'm talking about. When temptation comes, when that person, you try to work it out at home, but they're not listening to you, and Satan comes into your soul and say, you know what? You deserve better than this. You should try this. You're going to need that fourth person in the fire to keep you. Life is going to throw some things at you. Because it is not just you two weaving together. But it is God weaving as well.